Hey, good morning. Welcome to The Interns, a podcast by the World Affairs Council of Harrisburg. This week's COVID spotlight will focus on Australia and the UK. The Around the World 92nd segment will focus on COVID in Hong Kong and the Delta variant in Indonesia. Our main discussion is weighing in on Myanmar. Now the COVID spotlights. Yeah, so I was doing Australia and so far seven cities, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Darwin, Townsville and the Gold Coast have been under lockdown. And apparently there has been like a small shortage of vaccines, mainly Pfizer, which could be the reason why so many Australians are yet to be fully vaccinated. And actually only 5.8% of Australians are vaccinated according to Google statistics. And um, 23.7% have at least one dose compared to the 47% of Americans fully vaccinated. So like you can really see the difference and the Delta variant is also slowly starting to creep up in Australia and it's starting to become a really big deal. And according to BB News, across BBC News, sorry, across the country on Wednesday, state leaders said they were facing a pressure cooker situation as new cases emerged. So yeah, I Australia was doing pretty well for the most part, better than most countries, but now in the future, I don't know, we just we have to see how it's gonna end up. My country was the UK. Um, COVID in the UK has been very bizarre lately. COVID was the highest it's ever been for the UK over the course of last week. The government was thinking about lifting restrictions, but due to the the accelerating high number of cases last week, they had to push it back to the 19th of July. Prime Minister expects everything to go back to normal, but there hasn't been yet any proof whatsoever. Many officials have said it's been better since January, Health officials have confirmed the, la- the um, there has been less number of people being hospitalized, less death cases, and less overall cases. Statistics have showed that 44.5 million people have received the first dose, 33 million people received both. The government has been under great pressure because of the Euro 2020. Many fans wanting to go see the games at the stadiums across the UK, um, but the problem is letting more people in the stadiums can only risk the exposure of COVID once again. Now around the world in 90 seconds. So I was reading the South China Morning Post and um, it was talking about how Hong Kong extended most social distancing rules um, after having zero local cases for over 30 days. They, um, they had just one imported infection on Wednesday, meaning that there was 30 days without a local infection. Um, experts say things are unstable, but because of one infection, and I think this is crazy of how one COVID infection can really change the outcome of a, like a, of a situation. Um, we've, seen, we've seen COVID um, go from one to 50, 50 to 100, and then now it's like a, like a nationwide pandemic. So um, for Hong Kong to really raise its um, measures, safety measures, and really put protocols on it like right away, um, honestly good for them. So that's pretty much it. The topic I'll be talking about is a recent article that came out stating dozens in Indonesia hospitals die with oxygen shortage as the Delta variant sweeps the country. It was stated on July 8th as the article posted saying stating that 60 people died in the hospital in Indonesia that weekend after oxygen supplies nearly ran out. First, it was suspected it was COVID-19. Now, it's proven that it was the Delta variant that has caused this. As during that weekend, 27,913 new cases were reported 
just alone on that Saturday, which broke a record in Indonesia. And 63 patients died between Saturday and early Sunday in a hospital known as Sarajito in Java. And currently right now, the islands of Bali and Java are in emergency lockdown due to the uprising of the pandemic. Right now, Indonesia has estimated a demand of 800 metric tons of oxygen each day for medical needs. And one of the most surprising things that happened is that on Saturday alone, 392 burials were done because of this pandemic of the Delta variant coming in Indonesia and many people are just suffering right now. And the health minister, Budi Gaundi Saklin is saying that this is one of the most dramatic increases he's seen in Indonesia. So we hope that this will settle down and that Indonesia can get better soon. And that's it. Now for the main discussion segment. Hi, we're the interns, and in this episode, we're going to be discussing the current state of affairs in Myanmar. So currently, what's happening in Myanmar is that during February 1st, after Ms. Siu Kyi won the election, she seized power. An outbreak of the military group just took over. There are currently many um, trials underway, and there's a lot of issues happening, like there's unadvised, unadvised military government to release her, and there's a lot of things going on. One of the major conflicts that are happening is between the two religions. Currently, the major religion in Myanmar is Buddhism, but the minority is the Rohingya Muslims. And right now, after Ms. Siu Kyi is taken over, they're not getting enough recognition, and in Myanmar, they're classified as illegal immigrants. And on top of all of this, they're also dealt with facing the COVID-19 pandemic that has plagued the rest of the world. The CDC level is four, which is really, really high. And so far there's been 171976 confirmed cases. Sorry, I can't say the whole number. <laughs> 3,513 deaths and nearly 3.5 million vaccine doses administered. And to put that into perspective, their population in general is around 54 million. So first to address the military coup that has occurred. Um, this began in February technically, but I think it would be fair to say that a lot of this really stems from like if we're looking at this through his in historical lens it stems from when the country gained independence from britain in 1948 because i feel like a lot of issues still went unresolved after that considering the armed forces ruled from like the early 1960s until recently in 2011 and then that's when there was a return to civilian rule so I know that they created a constitution in 2008, but I feel like it wouldn't be fair to say that a lot of their issues started in February of this year. I think a lot of it stems from underlying causes and issues that have been there for the last few decades. Despite Ms. Su Kyi being the prime minister, the military has its own commander in chief known as Min Ong Hilong, who has taken power, 
And one of the biggest problems that's uprising with this military coup is that the military attacks on the ethnic minorities, which is the Rohingya Muslims. And because of this, they are struggling and they're um, just protesting against them to get um, religious freedom. And due to all of this protest and everything, the police are starting to see like a civil war kind of happening in Myanmar. And it's from all the protests and all the fighting that's been happening for such a long period of time that it's starting to become a lot more serious and it's affecting the government and the people and the country in itself. I think it's also really significant that back in February when they detained Suchi, they also detained thousands of protesters. Um, and I saw recently that they, a lot of them have been released, but um, she still has not. And she is currently on trial for sedition. Um, even though the UN has advised the intermediate military government to release her. Um, I think it's interesting that now they're trying to appeal her case and try to take it up to a higher court because they're trying to sort of get the civilian government back in power as fast as possible, even though the military government said that they're not going to be holding elections until February of next year. So I thought that was really interesting that they've let a lot of other people go, but they're really trying to charge her with sedition so that they have an excuse to remain in power. Yeah. And despite this problem being really big right now, it has actually been around for a while. And these protests have been happening for a long time and civil wars have been happening for many years as in 2007, apparently there was a revolution called the Saffron Revolution, which was when thousands of monks rose up against the military regime and protesters included teachers, lawyers, students, bank officers, and the government workers all going up all opposing the military in Myanmar. So it just really shows that the military doesn't give any protection to the people and it's just kind of like threatening the people and that just scares them and everyone has protested. And this has just been a big issue for such a long time and no one's actually taking action to stop this. And as this issue has grown, a lot of other like groups, either maybe they're nice groups or not, but a lot of groups have started to like come into this conflict like there's the Karen human rights group which is actually helping but then there's the Tatma Dawes group which I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong which is trying to like use more brute force and attack and recently they used a tactic called the four cuts which has actually been like used like since the 1960s but they used it and targeted like every person and village, which they thought would have ties with the KNU according to Al Jazeera. On top of that, apparently on March 27th, it's the deadliest day since the coup had actually killed more than hundred people that day. I think a factor in this, I mean, besides the fact that Myanmar is not really a part of like Western civilization per se, or that it's like really on the world stage. A part of the reason why I think a lot of people aren't really talking about this or hearing about this is because the conflict here is so internal and there's so many different groups that factor in 
and so many different variables that factor in that it's not like across borders, it's mostly within the country's borders. So that's why you don't really hear about a, a lot about it because you have to really understand the different groups involved and the different issues involved. And I think something also important to note here is that there's not really like one clear, like good side and a bad side. It's all of it, like, it's not really black and white. There's a lot of gray areas and there's a lot of different factors involved, which kind of makes it harder to grasp in a sense. And you really have to put in a lot of effort to read up on it and understand it, which is what makes it kind of difficult to really understand. I feel like the more you read about it, the less you understand in fact, but. Yeah, but. along with like what Mackenzie's saying, I feel like all of the, like, the issues and everything has really just been like pushed down and like there's a lot of pressure, but none of like no other countries surrounding them or anything is really trying too hard to get involved because there's so much happening. Like it's such a complicated issue that it's probably really confusing for them as well as other countries as well. So I think they're just in a really like sticky situation. Yeah, definitely agree. And not just other countries, just for people around the world, like even us, when we're researching this topic, it's very hard for us to understand because we're not actually there. We're not witnessing what's happening. And it's definitely horrible what's happening there. But if it's hard for like normal people, then it must be really hard for the bordering countries to help as well. And they're probably just as confused as we are. So it's just something that others can't really help and it's something that has to be fixed internally, but that's gonna be hard as long as we have some supreme powers that are taking over and just not helping. Mm -hmm. And I know the United States, they have supported a return to like democracy in Myanmar and they've been providing assistance there for the last few decades but it's more from like a humanitarian standpoint like um i know a couple groups have provided assistance for the refugee camps but not actually within the country on like the thailand side of the border which is interesting and i know they targeted um like some health programs in the late 90s to try to provide some sort of aid, but I think a lot of countries are sort of hesitant to get involved there politically just because it is so tense and there's so many different groups and actors there. But um, I know there was some monetary aid that was sort of redirected after the coup occurred and I think a little bit before also because um, USAID was funding a lot of the activities there to try to help like the ethnic conflict, like the people who were affected by the ethnic conflict. But um, I think since then there have been some sanctions against some of the military there. I'm gonna double check that. I don't wanna say that in have it not be true. But I'm pretty sure they've rescinded some of the economic assistance that they're providing to the government since the government that they were funding is no longer the intended government. So, but yeah.
Yeah, um, going along the topic that other countries um, are struggling to help Myanmar, um, the Rohingya Muslims, since so many were killed and persecuted, Myanmar, many of them have actually fled to Bangladesh and they have accepted them to come and stay. So I guess Bangladesh, since the bordering country, they are trying to help the Rohingya Muslims because Bangladesh is majority Muslim. So they're trying to help them. But um, internally, n none of the other countries can really help them because it's just such a mess that it's too hard. If they were to get involved, it would become some global thing, but right now it's just between tribes and like the people inside. Yeah, I think tense would be a great word to describe <laughs> this whole situation. And I feel like because this has go been going on for like a decent amount of time, I feel like sometimes they're starting to see a little change but then something else might happen. Another group might come, another conflict might happen. And it's all just being like weighing in. So I think it's just like, there's so much heaviness on it. It's almost like it would, like the government, everything would just explode if too much pressure is being put. So I don't know. Definitely agree. There's just too much weight. And um, I feel like since there's so many problems happening, it's kind of overtaking the fact that there's COVID going around. And this kind of prevents people from getting vaccination just because of people's fighting against each other that just like kind of like takes away the whole fact COVID's there and they actually need to recover from this pandemic. But instead, they're just fighting against and trying to have the civil war when they could just peacefully um, fix this problem. Yeah, I definitely think that COVID is just gonna make this even more like worse for them. And alongside like then other like variants are gonna come now. So I really don't know what their situation is gonna be anymore. Yeah. It's just, it just keeps changing with like how the world's changing so fast, but their issue is still the same and they're still fighting and fighting and fighting. Yeah. So. And you'd think that with COVID that they would join together because during this time, people need each other's support. It doesn't matter where you're from. The whole problem still is going on and they're not fixing it. Like, what if someone wants to get vaccinated or like was hurt and they need to go to the hospital, but they'd be criticized just because they're not Buddhist or like some other religion or something. So it's just really sad to see that there's just so much internal problem going on when they could just fix it in a much better way. Yeah, maybe if they saw eye to eye and like realize what this was doing with like the country's economy and the people and the government and stuff, then maybe it would help. But I think it's just going like out of proportion now. And it doesn't even matter if the U.S. were to send military troops there, it wouldn't fix anything because it's the people in power that are corrupting the society. If they were taken out and we had better people in power in Myanmar, then that would probably fix it. But it's just been rooted. Like the military has been bad, like for a long time. And this has shown like since the 2000s, people have been protesting and fighting and rioting against it, but it's just never changed. So if this were to change, it would just be such a long process to actually change it. And it's just this whole government needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. Returning to the sanctions, um, I was correct. Um, for the past few years, the United States has sanctioned people who have been connected to the ethnic cleansing but um, as of July 2nd, 2021, the US has also um, 
sanction people who are connected with the military regime. But I think um, it's also interesting that in all of the United States press releases and government documents, they refer to Myanmar still as Burma, which is interesting because when the name for Myanmar officially came to be, in 1989, a lot of countries, including like the United Kingdom, refused to change the name to Myanmar because they didn't want to give the military regime legitimacy. But um, a few years ago, I think it was in 2016, um, President Suu Kyi said publicly that it didn't matter which name was used. And I think a lot of people now primarily refer to the country as Myanmar instead of Burma, yet the United States still considers it to be Burma because they don't still don't want to give the regime legitimacy to this yeah. so that's kind of interesting yeah that's definitely interesting I think um globally people do refer to Myanmar but some countries do still refer to Burma and because they've just been used to that and I think people do call the people of Myanmar Burmese I'm pretty sure mm -hmm. so I think they do carry the name Burma still and I think that doesn't really matter because um I'm pretty sure India still refers to Myanmar as Burma because um, during like the 19, 1900s or 1800s, they were doing trading with them. And like a lot of um, people of Myanmar came to India and they were going back and forth. And there was like this whole empire. So I think they still do refer to Burma. I think some, I think many countries do too. I'm not sure if Thailand and the other countries refer to Burma because they are bordering countries. So they might've just stick to Burma, but as a, in a map and globally, I think it is now referred to Myanmar. That's so interesting. All right. I mean, there's not much to say. I mean, there is a lot going on, but there's not much that we could find on our own because not much has come out to our world world news because since so much is just internal conflict just between them that news reporters haven't been able to find much to just globally um, let people know. So we just hope that Myanmar can come back to a stable state and the civil war can end as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. I think to truly understand the nature of what's going on, we'd have to have like a seven hour long podcast episode. Definitely. Covering yeah. every single thing. Or but we would just have to get a flight ticket to Myanmar and actually witness it. I think that's how we know more. Exactly. exactly. But this is such like a major issue that's only impacting them that there's only so much that we can understand compared to what they're experiencing. So yeah, we hope the best for Myanmar, but I don't know, man. <laughs> and with that, the interns are signing out. Thank you for listening. Our episodes come out every Monday and Friday, so make sure to stay tuned for the next episode.